Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livigno to Levy. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello folks, once again, this is another episode of Livigno to Levy, and this is Visma Ski Classics, of course, and I'm your host, Teemu Virtanen, and now we are talking about one of the greatest events in the Pro Tour, the one big one in Norway called Birkebeine Rennet, or Birken as many people call it, and on the other end I have the chief of competition there, Sölvi Amundsen Ås. So Sölvi, how are things over there in Norway at the moment? Uh, well, we are waiting for uh, the autumn to prepare for winter, winter conditions. We have had the first snow, but it's gone and we're waiting for more. If we go back to last year or last season, actually last winter, and uh, Vasalopet went pretty well, and then of course, you know, the pandemic hit. Uh, it must have been pretty terrible for you guys at that time. And, and did you anticipate this, or what, were, what was kind of going on when you got the message that, okay, the race will be cancelled? We got that message on the big day where we had scrambled all the volunteers who were going to participate doing the best race ever. We've had the best uh, winter conditions ever this winter. The track was well prepared, uh, but of course we had planned for the pandemic, but when it hit us that hard that week, there was no choice. Did anyone come over there anyways and do the race by themselves? No, they actually they closed the border. So uh, no, no, no one came. So after that, uh, of course, then when that was over, then how did you kind of bounce back? What did you do after that? And, and when you kind of regrouped and started to think about the uh, uh, this year? Uh, we have started the planning now. We are in uh, the, uh, close dialogue with the officials, uh, the doctors at Rena and Lillamer, and we're discussing different alternatives because we want so we really want to make the race this winter. So we plan in different uh, scenarios. Can you talk about those a little bit and what kind of scenarios you have in mind? Because of course, a lot of people are concerned uh, and it is a huge race, thousands and thousands of people. So how are you going to be able to carry that out? In the rules in Norway now is that you can have 200 persons in a group and then we can have different groups or the waves at the start field then. So if we make sure we don't mix people together from the 200 groups, we can send one group and then take another one and send. So we will have a slightly delay between the groups. We normally have waves with five minutes between, but this year we can make it like quarter or 30 minutes and use more of the day. And if it's really bad in the winter, we can also maybe use Friday and Sunday. So we make the race during two or three days. She will definitely stretch it out. Yeah, uh, it's possible okay. to stretch it out. So what is allowed in Norway today is 600 persons. Then you make them in groups, 200, 200, 200. And that's something we can do. And hopefully they loosen it a bit up for the winter. 
then what about the surroundings? I mean, how many people can you take in to Lillehammer? Are there any restrictions on that? The race is one thing, but then... That will be the that will of course be the discussion with the local authorities at Lillehammer, the doctor, because uh, how many people can you have at Lillehammer during one weekend? Is the capacity of the accommodation, the hotels, and another problem could be the buses, of course, because if you don't travel your own car to Rena, you have to take the bus to get it back. It's a logistic problem because you start at one end and end up in the other end. And then what about the uh, the traveling? Can foreigners come to Norway and then again, can you guys leave your country? What is what is the restrictions that you have? They they are under they are changing all the time because we mark countries red if they have more than twenty disease per. Thousand persons, I think. Uh, so uh, sometimes it's allowed to go abroad, and sometimes not. So each country has to follow their rules regarding if they could come to Norway or not. So could there be a case that you have a pretty much a domestic race that you have only Norwegians racing at Birkebanner, no uh, international guests? I know uh, the Vismaski Classics. They are planning a normal season where they may become two weeks in advance because of the quarantine. Uh, the challenge is to plan different options so that in some way or other, we can do the race. But when you think about these kind of special restrictions, special uh, cases that you have to kind of go through, uh, how much does this kind of affect your work? I mean, I assume it's so much more you need to do nowadays because all these uh, you know, restrictions we have. Uh, well, we started the planning uh, pretty early this year because we had to cancel the bicycle race in August. So we are all, all of us are planning for the ski race now. If you compare this year to the previous ones, you've been in your post for 10 years now, so it must be very different this year compared to the others. Yeah, it is different because we have to plan uh, different scenarios. But again, we started earlier. We've got more experience. We have experienced the pandemic in March. We stopped the race. We planned for the running with the corona restrictions. So uh, we have a basis to pick it from, actually. Speaking of your job, since you are the chief of competition, uh, what really goes into this? What are your responsibilities? How is your normal day? I, I understand that this year is a little bit different, but normally, what do you do? As the chief of competition, I have the responsibility to make all the sports and logistics and everything from the people come here to they leave, till they leave. Uh, I organize the organizing committee on both sides of the mountains and all the uh, facilities in the mountains. I have the responsibility for all the volunteers joining the committee or just working that day. So we normally we start the meetings at the end of November for the next year season. And then we have regularly meetings with all the groups who participate in making the race. So I, I'm in charge of like 200, 250 basic volunteers who again are leading other groups during the day of the race. And it's the jury work and the planning, the safety, security, medical service, dialogue with the, 
the local authorities, uh, police, everything. And how did you actually get involved? It was about 10 years ago since you started working for, for the organization, but what's the story behind it? The story behind it, I've been uh, as an officer in the Norwegian army for 21 years. Actually, first female company commander in a rifle platoon, a rifle company. That was the start. And you, I mean, the army, that's logistics. Much of the operation is logistics. And then I also been uh, in the medical services uh, where I live. And I have three sons, 25, 27, 29 years old. They've all been skiing and biathlon and cycling. So then I started organizing sport events. So it's logistics and sporting. And I, I love skiing. I participated twice in uh, the Birkebeinerennet. Don't ask about my um, personal record there. <laughs> I was going to. <laughs> now, I think I used uh, around five hours. That's yeah. good. Yeah, not bad. So, Army, that's really interesting. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit uh, before you started working for Birken. Uh, why Army and uh, what did you kind of learn there by being, a, as you said, the first female commander? It's, of course, the leadership. Uh, it's uh, planning things and operations. It's uh, to lead things when it's urgent to make right decisions. And, of course, uh, planning the logistics. It's like moving uh, armed forces from Rena to Lillehammer or, or let the Birkebeiners ski themselves. It's pretty much the same in the planning. You have to plan uh, risk management, security, moving personnel from one place to another, organize. Yeah. So were you asked to join uh, Birken or how did that happen? No, it was, it, it's full-time work as a professional. So I just had to apply for the job when I saw it advertised in the papers. That's the job for me. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, why did you feel at that time that is a perfect job for you, besides that you like skiing? I like skiing. I like uh, management leadership. I like organizing things. I like being in contact with the people, having those gr personal groups in the organizing committee. I, I really enjoy that work. And that we all together make something special as Birkebeinerenne is. And when, you, when you're standing there at the start and you see like a big snake with people skiing uphill, it's, it's marvelous. And the race has a long, long history. I think the 32 was the first year when Birken, Birken, of course, then the, the backstory uh, about the Birkebeiners carrying the Prince Håkon uh, to safety. But why is Birken and also Vasal, but these two races, so legend, legendary besides the story behind them? But why have these two become bigger than any, anything else, pretty much. I, I think, I, I, as you said, the story is the historical perspective and it's the personal challenge doing a ski race like Vasaloppe and Birkebeinerenne. It's a demanding exercise uh, for yourself. So it's the self-satisfaction of doing something like that. And of course, a lot of people in Norway and Sweden, they love skiing. They go skiing on their Sundays off work. And then what about the kind of the, the importance of this race in your country? Uh, as far as I've understood, uh, Birken is really 
something that everybody wants to do, very much like Vasalo, but in yeah. in Sweden. It's like everybody knows about it and everybody at least have some kind of an idea what it is and try to do it once in their life. Yeah. Is that the same in, in Norway as well? Oh, yeah, really. Like you see all the children in Norway, they go skiing in winter. They are into different kinds of sports. It's typical Norwegian when you have a day of work or holiday. You go up in a chalet, cottage up in the mountains. You go skiing. You have fireplaces outside. You live live outdoor. That's what we do when we're not working. <laughs> a lot of us. Yeah, what, where, where where does that come from? I mean, I lived in Norway when I was really young, uh, like in the middle school, seventh, eighth, eighth grader, and I re- uh, noticed and realized that you guys really, even back then, I mean, you really do that every Sunday. Everybody just went out, no yeah. matter who you who you were, you just went out, you know, for a hike or skiing or something like that. Are you like guys born with it? This kind of a spirit. Yeah, and if you see in the kindergarten or the play school, they always go out with the children during the day, bringing the lunch packets outside and eat outside, a lot of them. It's something just coming out in the mountains, out hiking, out skiing, it gives you something because you have done it every year since you were little. So uh, that's what we do when we have a day off. Good. I mean, I'm happy that you guys are that active and energetic. I wish a lot more people could be like that. But I think now is a good time to listen to uh, the CEO of Visma Ski Classics, David or David Nielsen, and find out what he thinks about Birkebeiner Rennet and also what's his best memory of the race. Birkebeiner Rennet is one of the monuments in the Visma Ski Classics Pro Tour. It is First of all, the first race every year in Norway, and the Norway is the home, maybe the home of the cross-country skiing sport. And to come there and feeling the atmosphere that the Norwegian have and the passion for the sport, it uh, it is something you have to experience. The race, the course itself, starting in in the small village of Rena and going over the the two big mountains on the way to Lillehammer and finishing off in the 1994 Olympics arena. And then after the finish, going down to the to the very beautiful, picturesque city, wooden city of Lillehammer on the shop on the streets there, and walking on the shopping streets, and that is a great experience. And um, yeah, so Birkebeinerin, I think, on a good day with the sun shines and everything, it's unmatched in the tour. A race, of course, I have to mention as a special one was when Petra Liasen and Martin Jonsrud Sundby in 2015 fighted each other. And uh, Martin at that time was the strongest one in short distance skiing, being extremely good at uh, at uphill skiing. Yeah. And then uh, coming to long distance world, challenging Petter, which was also in a, in a good shape. And uh, Petter was going without kickbacks and... Uh, and Martin with kickbacks and the fight between them, where, where that that year Petter uh, won, was an uh, I think an eye opener. It set the standard of the long distance skiing world that we actually raised the, the awareness of the sport in in a big way. And then two years later, of course, Martin as a great skier and great competitor uh, came back and wanted to show who's the strongest. And uh, at that year, uh, Petter had actually been been injured or sick before I remember so it was not uh, maybe against him so much but 
But Martin came back and showed them totally amazingly strength. He went away in the in the uphills and was some minute minute and a half or so in front of the other. And then uh, I was sitting in the TV bus as I always do, uh, trying to to look at all the screens and seeing what we're doing. And I see this uh, skidder that hit. Uh, I see Martin flying in the snow, and I was like, "What? What was happening?" And I understood there was one of our TV skidos that was uh, hitting him, and uh, this falling in like a snowball into uh, to the snow. And the first feeling was, you know, I just hope it went okay with Martin because it could. It looked really ugly. And luckily, he he came up on the skis and. Uh, and the finish and won the race, and the, uh, we were so g- relieved that we, that that incident didn't, uh, you know, change the the turnout of the race. And then afterwards, I of course went uh, from the behalf of the team production to to apologize to to Martin, and uh, you know, with deepest regrets of what happened and so on. And he, I think he accepted the, uh, the apologize, and we had to go into the press conference talking a little bit what happened and on the way in there is actually sitting both the chrome prince of of Norway and the chrome prince of Denmark both of them have had skied a race which they, they quite often ski long distance skiing uh, so they were sitting there so I talked a little bit to them about what happened with the skido situation before going into the press conference I was also a memory that you know I hope I never have to experience again it was uh, we were very afraid that that uh, it went bad with Martin so Sylvie, when you listen to David, he talks about the, uh, of course, how big and how great your uh, race is, and on a perfect day, it is, it is, it is a wonderful, wonderful race. Uh, but also those two epic uh, battles or memories that he had, the, the one battle between Peter Eliasen and Martin Junsuru Sunbi, and then of course two years later, Sunbi won the race uh, but crashed with the uh, the scooter. Those are David's greatest memories, and probably. We all remember those those events, but you've been in your uh, position for about ten years. What is your greatest memory? First, during your professional time with uh, Birken, and also maybe even way back when you go back into your childhood and you watched Birken. So, what are those memories that you, you know, can share with us? Of course, my personal memory is when I was skiing one one of the two times I skied. I skied over the mountains for the Easter holiday to stay with my parents. Um, so coming to Lillehammer and listen to the the music and uh, the voice of the speaker and everything, and exhausted but happy. That was, of course, one memory. So I know the feeling when I see all the happy people coming to Lillehammer. So that that is great. And I think every race is unique and great when you are are there at the start position and at the finish line. But like two or three years ago, it was really, really cold. I mean, we're standing at Lillehammer waiting for the last skiers. I think it was some Australians who came when it was getting really dark. See how exhausted and happy they are and listen to their story. That is, of course, great. And since you've done, done the race yourself uh, and uh, you keep saying that, or keep referring to the challenge. Uh, the race isn't really that long. I mean, 50, 54 kilometers, uh, but it's very, very demanding course. But how would you, what would your advice be 
to just regular folks who are doing Birken for the first time? Uh, make your entry as early as possible, and then you have the goal for the season. So you start the training. And that's one good side because it, it's a rainy Saturday. You would like to sit in front of the television, but instead you have the push. I have to go out skiing. I have to do my training. So that's a good advice because it is uh, challenging if you want to like it or not just height for 54 kil kilometers because it's uh, demanding at the beginning. It's uphill like the first uh, 10 kilometers and then it's just a little break and then it's uphill again. So that's the good advice to be um, have a good grip wax and strong enough to, to walk uphill and don't rush out too fast. You have uh, 40, 54, uh, 4K to win the race. It's not one the first kilometer. It's like when we, we let the people in the start field in the group, they're chasing each other in. But you have uh, plenty of time to make it. So don't uh, start too fast. That is a good advice. A lot of people say that because it's a long, long climb before you reach the first, yeah. first it, uh, it mountain. And I mean, Vasalope is also great, but it's a bit more flat. So you can come through it even, even if you're not a good skier. So I think a lot of us should avoid the double polling and uh, rather have the grip wax. It's uh, challenging because it can be like plus five degrees down at Rena. You can have uh, minus 10 up in the mountains and you go up and down and up and down. And the wind. But it can be windy, so it's, uh, it's important to have the items you should have in your backpack. We're carrying a backpack of 3.5 kilos and you should have a windbreaker and some warm clothes to bring with you. It's really good that you pointed that out because that is kind of a characteristics of your race that you have to carry that uh, backpack, which kind of represents the, you know, the kind of, but it actually represents the, uh, you know, the, the Prince Hakon and the, the weight that yeah. uh, the Pekka Banners have to carry. Yes, it symbolizes the weight of the child. But it's also uh, important regarding the security. Because you ski over the mountains, the weather can change. It can be windy, it can be cold. We don't have a road on, with cars on next to it. The only point in the middle of the track is Kvarsta, when you're halfway, where it's possible to come in with a car. So if you have to take people out on the mountains, we do it on the skidoos. You have to be properly dressed and equipped. And for those people who haven't done Birken yet, so can you tell them what needs to be packed in that backpack? It's, uh, it's listed on our website, but the backpack, you need something to eat, something to drink, preferably something warm to drink, a warm clothing like wool, wool mittens, hat, windbreaker, uh, trousers and uh, jacket, ski wax, and maybe some sun cream and sunglasses. That's the important things to bring in your backpack. Indeed, a lot of uh, important uh, items that you need to carry over. Uh, but Birken, of course, is more than the 54-kilometer uh, ski race. You have all kinds of activities uh, over the year and also other events 
uh, in the winter we have the skating race children's race relay so can you just uh, tell us a little bit about those other options that people can can select yeah we have for children and uh, for the young people from 12 to 16 years they start up at Shushan and ski down to Lillehammer and we have uh, on the main weekend we have on the Friday skating and the free technique where you can use as long time as you'd like to and we have the relay on the Friday and on the Saturday we have the the normal Birkebeinerenne 54k with the elite skiers Visma Ski Classics first and then the the other people who wants to spend the day in the mountains because for all of them it's 54k and it's 3.5 kilos on your backpack that is the Saturday, and it's even possible to uh, ski halfway from Shushan and a bit around in the mountains and follow the Birkebeiner track down to Lillehammer. So we have events for everyone, all ages and uh, fast skiers and slow skiers and whatever. And also events in the summertime. Yeah, we have the running in June and we have the, the bicycle race in August which also is open for the same groups, for children, for elderly, for everyone. Keeps you busy. Yeah, keeps you busy. <laughs> keeps us busy and happy. You mentioned Visma Ski Classics, and uh, what has this brand brought to you? I mean, Birken has a long, long history, of course. Uh, Visma Ski Classic is now 10 years old uh, in this, this format, but of course... It's an important sort of an elite professional uh, component uh, to the proceedings. I, yeah, I think it has made us more popular abroad because uh, the TV production. I mean, people in Mexico can watch Birkebeinerenne. So I think it makes a lot of uh, foreigners coming here to ski. We have had like 44 different nations last year. And also, uh, you now belong to the... Uh, Visma Ski Classics, the kind of the Grand Classics series, meaning you guys, uh, Vasa Lopet, uh, Machalonga, and then of course Iseska Paresatka. Uh, how do you feel about that particular initiative? I think it's great to have that family and um, make it possible for those who love skiing and want to compete in those long races. So I think it's really good. Is there anything else you'd like to see in Visma Ski Classics? Any developments, any new things? Anything that you like to see taking place? I think it's uh, it's good with the sprints they made because it can be a bit boring just watching them double poling through the forest somewhere. So I mean, having showing a little a little of the nature and uh, the characteristics of the different races that's great. So, what is your favorite race besides Birken, of course? But besides Birken, I have uh, done Marcia Longa twice. Uh, except from that, I would really like to do uh, skate Vasan or the one they do during the night. That would be great. Not Vasan. Yeah. Any other race? Any any other kind of race that you'd like to do or any other? I have been doing the Engadin skating. Uh, it's not a secret. I love skating. That's totally different. So then you can do two races instead of one. And that's possible if you come to Birkebeinerenne, you can skate on the Friday and you can go classic technique on the Saturday. Speaking of skating, do you think there should be more skating uh, in Visma Ski Classics? We had Engadin uh, once, but... I think it would be interesting to have a 
couple of races uh, in the free technique, yes. What could those races be? Anywhere. <laughs> Anywhere, but the, the track is wide enough. What about uh, having a both, uh, you know, the Birken skating and uh, maybe have a two-day event? Would that be possible? Yeah, I think we could develop it into that because we have the skating on the Friday and we have the classic technique on the Saturday. So uh, that could, could be combined. And I know for for a fact that our skiers will be interested, the pro, pro team athletes will be interested in yeah. doing doing that. Even you know they train for it. You know they can do races back to back. So yeah, uh, but it's difficult to develop too much for twenty one because of the corona situation. We have to plan to maybe do the race in more days. So uh, I think we should be happy if we can do a normal race with the fair and good conditions for everyone. So I think maybe the new developing will be postponed to 22. I totally agree. Of course, this season will be different. We just have to focus on uh, being able to carry out a, a good season yeah. and then whatever developments and ideas there will be later on uh, in the future. But now I think it's a good time to listen to a couple of the uh, the, the winners, the, the former winners of uh, Birke Banner and see what they think about the race and also one common interesting comment from uh, just a regular skier an amateur skier uh, from Finland Hello my name is Peter Eliasson I race for Team Meragde Eiendom What makes Birken special is that it has a long history all the way back to 1932 it's one of our biggest races in Norway and a lot of people in Norway and other countries have been really motivated by this uh, race and um, the best tactical approach I think it's to start uh, in a in a pace that you can hold because it's a long climb in the beginning other things you need to take into account when racing Birken is that you need to have a backpack with a certain contain and also a specific weight so you need to plan this before uh, you race my own personal take on this race is that I think uh, this is one of our most beautiful races. Uh, the grooming is often perfect, the uh, tracks are wide and it's a fair race I will say. Um, I really recommend it to everyone that loves skiing. And be sure to train a lot before you go to start. That's uh, my best advice. My name is Jonas and I'm from Finland and Temu asked me to share with you guys my experience of Birkebeinerennet. 2018 first time and I was not in that good shape. So I ended up to ski far too fast the first 18 km up, uphill and I was so exhausted on top of the route Fjellet and I didn't know which which direction I should go so and I ended up to to quit and stop skiing at Kvarstad and that was actually the great choice that was not so funny experience at all to to come by bus back to the Lillehammer so I ended up to 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 make my second attempt on 2019 and I was better prepared and uh, I was able to finish the Birke by Birken uh, in five hours so here are my tips how to complete the Birken so first of all if you are not the double polar so make sure that you have a great grip 
The second tip is that if you have made your seeding and you, you are in a good start group, don't rush with the Norwegians to the first uphill. That can be a huge mistake, as they ski like a devil in, in the beginning. The third tip is that please always carry a one can of beer with you. you. You might need that at some point, at least at the finish it's very nice to have a cool beer. And the fourth is of course enjoy the nightlife of Lillehammer, that's also awesome. So Peter Eliasen commented on, on, on the race, of course, he's, he's a legend uh, uh, himself. But uh, what do you think when you hear the former winners, when they talk about the race and they, they uh, say high praises uh, of your race, how does it make you feel? It makes me happy because we've done something good. People enjoy it. They love it. It makes something in, in their lives. So I'm proud, really proud. And speaking of Peter Eliasen, or uh, just in a Kovalsik, those two uh, amazing uh, victories, how did you feel when, when, the, when, those, when those happened, when the, the epic battle, for example, that David talked about earlier, and then uh, later Peter Eliasen won the race again, uh, and, and uh, kind of be part of it and, and see those uh, humble legends? I, I, share, I share the happiness, and we are also happy. There, there are always some tears coming, you know, during that day when you see what it makes to people and how happy they are and how grateful they are. So, yeah. And also, you talked about the uh, the kind of the long, long climb, and that was something that Jonas talked about. Uh, that please remember that it's a long climb, and and he actually fell fell into that trap that you started a little bit too fast. Yes, <laughs> but luckily he came back the next year. I'm 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 glad to hear. So, but that's probably something that uh, that everyone who's planning on doing the race needs to take into account. That it is probably I think it's probably the longest climb in any race. Uh, well, there are some other races where with long climbs, of course, but I think your race is the one that has the longest first climb. In Barcelona, but it's three kilometers, but yours is pretty much, is it 13 kilometers or so by the time you reach the first stop and then you go down and climb again? Yeah, so. you don't go down. You just keep up walking upwards. It's just a little break and drinking station at Skamsta and then you continue. If you describe a little bit more about the, uh, if you describe the kind of the surroundings, we talked about the the kind of the difference uh, of this race and the char characteristics and the nature around it. Uh, but once again, if you kind of walk us through a little bit uh, of the race uh, for those who haven't been there, uh, we know about the first climb and, and so forth, but the course itself. The first 10 kilometers is uh, through the forest up towards the mountains. And we have some summer chalets and summer farms really old you pass and then you come to the first feeding station and then you come out of the forest and up in the mountains over the first mountain and then you get a break and ski a bit downhill can be scary for some people and then you come after 17 kilometers to the next feeding station which is Dambua and there you come up to the famous Raufjella it's the really windy part on a windy day over the mountains and then you can see big part of the southern part of Norway because there are no trees up there. It's always a little windy up there, but it's marvelous on a sunny day. You get kind of tears in your eyes when, you, when you're there. 
And then you can relax a bit downhill if you like skiing downhill. On the good tracks, it's not a big problem. Then you come to Kvarta, which is halfway. And there you have those uh, cottages and summer farms. They're closed, of course, but you have the feeding station there and some live music and a lot of people watching you. So they kind of help you up uphill because they're cheering at you and they're singing and making fun. And after Kvarta, it's a really, really hard climb. And then you come up to the highest point of the, of the track before it stretches out and down towards the new feeding zone, uh, Mittfjellet. And then it's just a little bit up to Shushan, which is the biggest uh, skiing resort in Norway. It's five, six, seven thousand cottages. A lot of people there every weekend, all day, all year around. And from Shushan, you ski pretty fast downhill to Lillehammer. That could be demanding at the end of the day when you have had a lot of skiers in front of you. But the audience kind of carries you forward the last kilometers. And when you feel really exhausted, you can hear the, the speaker and the music from the Birkebeiner ski arena. And then you're almost there. And then we will stand there welcoming you to Lillehammer and give you some hot dogs and something to drink. And then Lillehammer, famous place. And Jonas mentioned mentioned that as well in his comment, uh, the nightlife. But uh, it's not a big city or town, but it's a famous one, not just because of Birkebeiner, but also the Olympics and so forth. But now you have a chance to pitch Lillehammer to those uh, people who haven't been there yet. Yeah, you have the big uh, arenas from the Winter Olympics in uh, 94, which uh, Samarange said what was the best winter games ever. So Lillehammer is beautiful all year around, but especially in the winter, when you have uh, the illuminated big ski jump at night and you have the Håkonsal, the big uh, ski arena. So it's, it's marvelous. And you have the big outdoor museum with the old farm buildings from like four or 500 years ago. So it's something special with Lillehammer, the atmosphere. So you should spend a couple of nights there. You also have the main street, which is really spectacular. What about Rena? Rena is a small, uh, like call it a village. It's like 3000 inhabitants. It's a long winter here. We always have snow here in the winter. People are really friendly. You can have a, a accommodation in private homes and farms. And uh, it's, it's a nice little place where they always welcome the Birkebeiners. And also what is great about your event is that it's very close to, uh, to the capital city, Oslo. I mean, it's very easy to reach. You can just uh, fly into Oslo, hop on a, a train and get to Lillehammer pretty quickly. Yes, you can. And you can also get pretty quickly to Rena. We normally put up buses and we have the new motorway halfway up to Rena now from Gardermoen. So it doesn't take you more than uh, less than a couple of hours to get there. And then when you think about the, the future of the race, of course, now the pandemic next year, we'll just focus on, <laughs> on, on, on uh, things at hand. Uh, but then afterwards, once the, the dust kind of settles uh, and you move forward, uh, any particular plans, any specific plans that you have in mind or how are you going to uh, 
enhance the brand, develop, and so forth? I think the pandemic has done something with us. The way we act, the way we think. I think we will be more focused on our own health, keeping a good shape, uh, like the environment around us in the forest, in the mountains. So I think we will grow. I think people will be more and more interested in outdoor events. When I started here in 2010, we almost reached the top with the 17,000 people on the starting list. I hope we will climb up towards that uh, amount again. Oh, that's interesting that you brought that up. I was going to ask you about it because it's been a little bit of a roller coaster up and down uh, uh, with Birken, uh, really huge numbers at that time, then a bit of a dip. Uh, so what kind of happened there uh, in a country where cross-country skiing has always been number one, pretty much? I think it's a combination of many things because going away for a whole weekend to do events, it's if you're part of a family, you study a few more years than we did maybe. Uh, they are, yeah, established a family with children. They have to follow up their children in their sports and in their life. People are busy. Maybe they don't spend so much time on themselves. Some do, but some don't. So many people think it takes too much money and time to get there. That maybe they think it's too demanding. People are a bit more busy than they used to be. They have a lot more to choose in between. And maybe it was popular to ski some years ago. Now it might be something else. So I think it's a, a great combination of many things. It's like the Norwegians. Now this year we go to Marcia Now this year we do something else. Being there, done that more or less. And of course, we have a lot of people who wants to come every year. They wanted to donate their uh, entry fee when we canceled the race this year. So uh, we have a lot of good customers. But do you have those who should do things once or twice? Maybe they just do it once now because they have so many choices. But do you think that you can uh, grow uh, at least like in inter international numbers that you can attract more international skiers? Yes, we can see that we've done that the recent years, because in 2019, we had 2,500 from abroad. So that's 25% of that's entries. That's a good number. Yeah, yes, it is. So I think when, when we're able to pick up traveling again, a lot of people would like to come here and do the race. And I think maybe many Norwegians, they don't want to travel so much as they used to do. So maybe they want to ski in Norway instead of going the world around to do skiing. So we'd see the kind of the revival taking place. Yeah, I hope so. Good. Anything else that you kind of like to bring up in terms of the future development or the future insight? I only hope we will keep up the good, the climate and the good skiing conditions because maybe that is a big threat for those who don't have skiing conditions during the winter. We still have hair. We don't make any artificial snow. So we have to take care of the environment. 
that is a good point, actually, that there's so much talk about the artificial snow and the snow farming and all that, but you don't really have that problem there. No. You're lucky. Yeah, yes, we are. But we have to to work to keep it like that. Yeah, indeed. I think we definitely have to do that. But before we wrap up, uh, let's talk about you a little bit, Selby. We talked about your army army time, but uh, even even a little bit further down the line. Uh, yeah, so we next going to talk about you. I was born and grew up in Lillehammer. Uh, so I always saw the skiers when they came over the mountains. And my father was a taxi driver, so he had a lot of stories about them. And we liked to go skiing in those tracks on the other days during the winter. Uh, I went to school at Lillehammer. Actually, the first six years, we had to ski three kilometers to get to the school in the morning and three kilometers back in the afternoon. So you must have been in good shape at that age. Yeah, I think I was when I was little. And I started as a volunteer in the, not the Red Cross, but the Norsk Folkjärp, Norwegian People Aid. I started as a volunteer there when I was 16 years old. So like the medical service was interesting for me. Then I went to the officer's training school in the medical service because my plan was to be a nurse. But when I started in the army, I was more interested in the operations and other things. So I even tried to be a pilot on a helicopter, but I failed, like most people do. <laughs> and then I started at the military academy. And you always lived in Lillehammer? Uh, yeah, I moved when I was 20 years. Then I went to Oslo to the officer's training school and to the military academy. And I had a short period in Lebanon where I met my husband. That's interesting. Yeah. Can, can, <laughs> yeah. can you tell us about that a little bit? Lebanon. Very different from Norway. <laughs> yeah, I was on peacekeeping mission there for six months in 1987. So that's always interesting to live abroad somewhere and see how life is. And of course, doing an important job as we did there. Actually, sometimes on operations, you had, be, had to be arm, armored. So that's where I met my husband because he was in the APC, Armed Personnel Vehicle Platoon. And then when you return... Was it kind of a culture shock when you to go back? No, maybe when you come home after being abroad in a country like that, you don't take everything for granted. So it makes something with you. What is important? What kind of values? What is important to me? What is important to you then? I think the connection with people and uh, the cooperate, cooperation with people. Yeah, seeing each other, taking care of each other. It's not only the material stuff, you know. And then what things are very important to you besides Birkebeiner and skiing, but at this stage in your life? It's to follow up uh, my children is important. And also my own health is important. You see, I don't know. You see, I've always been really active, but in 2016... Actually, we had performed a bicycle race back home in the club. And I was going to have a run in the forest with my husband. And suddenly I just uh, fell over and my heart stopped. So he, he had to rescue me and get the ambulance out in the forest. And I was flown by helicopter to a university hospital in Oslo. And was uh, like chilled down and in coma for 
four days before I woke up. And I woke up, oh, it's the second of uh, of May. I'm having the kickoff for the organizing committee for the race. So I can't be in hospital. Well, you have to stay here. Wow. So my husband had to do... Uh, so he pretty much saved you. Yeah. If I had been running alone, I would have stayed in the forest. So he worked on me for 12 minutes before they came with a heart, a heart starter to get me restarted. Well, kudos to him. I mean, he was really brave. Yeah. I wasn't even brain damaged, I think so. <laughs> so uh, that was a good job. So to me, it's really important to have a good medical service in everything we do because you never know. People can be well-trained, fit. You don't know what can happen. So, so that's an important value for me. So when you kind of came back to life, I and mean, of course you don't remember anything, but it must have affected you. I mean, your perspective, your view on life must be very different now. Yes, it is, because you don't take anything for granted. And we also have a lot of those stories in our races, because on the bicycle, we never lost any participant. But we have had people with uh, diseases like me, which fell over and we have rescued them. And some of them, they come back and wants to thank us for saving their lives. So we always have different stories from the participants. This is also about stories. I mean, not just the racist themselves, but as you said, each participant, each person comes with his or her you know, own background and own stories yeah. after that. And yours is certainly very uh, uh, intriguing, very uh, inspiring as well, because uh, you went through an ordeal and survived. Yeah. And I always been skiing and cycling and taking care of the health, but what's in your genes, you can't manipulate. That is, that is well said. As a last thing, uh, kind of reflecting upon that, you just said, what do you, what are you hoping, you know, for the future? Uh, of course, my work to um, make Birkin, like, Make Birkin great again, as you say. <laughs> no, but get up of the valley and beat the corona and the disease and get Birkin and the big races back on track. I still have something to do there. And of course, for myself, keeping a good health, be in shape, not work too hard, work with the things I like. Yeah. And as a last thing, for those out there listening to this, uh, the people thinking about coming to Birken, being a little bit concerned, worrying about Birken, how would you calm them down a bit? We are here to welcome you and to take care of you. If you do your training and preparations before you come, we will take care of you when you come. Make sure you're equipped and fit for fight, and we'll do it together. Thank you, Sylvie. Thanks a lot for, you know, for being part of this. And I'm pretty sure you'll make Birkin great again. I mean, it is a, it is a great race, but even greater. Yeah, make it greater again. Thank you. It was nice talking to you. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.